0: I'm Charlie Redding
1: and I'm Claire Fudge
0: and this is the Tribe Athlon Podcast.
2: I was riding in aero position towards that uh, helicopter that was hovering on top of the road. And I mean, I'm yeah, goosebumps all over. That was probably the coolest moment ever.
0: That is Jan Siversen. And this episode is First Out of the Water. Hey, Claire, how are you doing?
1: Yes, good. Thank you. How are you after your your mammoth weekend of cycling in the peak
0: I am good, thank you. Yeah, I'm good, and I'll tell you all about my uh, my cycling at the weekend. But before we do that, how are you? How's your recovery from COVID going? Because I know, obviously, you kind of it was a while. Well, ago I'm now, strictly
1: but... to protocol, Charlie. For once, so I'm, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm impressed.
1: <laughs> yeah, I um yeah, I felt a bit kind of sore over the weekend in terms of my friends in Marbella racing where I was meant to be. But um, it was it was actually really nice to kind of watch people do really well. So that was really great. Um. And yeah, I'm I'm back to kind of more or less where I should be in terms of training. It's just um, just a few overriding symptoms of cold, really. But other than that, it's been it's been fine. And I think you know, being for, for anyone that hasn't had COVID, that does get it, actually being really sensible, I hopefully kind of brings you back sooner as well.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. Well, so. You don't want to do any long term damage, do you? So well done for skipping My Marbella, which actually uh, Nikki Bartlett won, didn't she?
1: Yes, I think so. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. She did. I just saw yeah. saw a post this morning, and I was like, oh, I, yeah that that was that was well, so I was very pleased for Nikki. Um, so yeah, so well, that's it's good news that you're on the mend and you're back um, back back to nearly a hundred percent. Yeah, next race
1: this weekend, I'll be back. Well, um, I kind of slipped in another little tiny race because I <laughs> felt like I missed one out, um, so I'm just doing something small down in Dorset just to get back on the. Uh, just to test myself, really, actually. Oh, um, and then Olympic distance, which is going to be like, it's going to seem like a blooming sprint race to me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think it's actually really good. I I find it really difficult to work at that kind of intensity. So, you know, it's, it's I don't know, have you been back and raced that kind of distance again? Because I um, find I, it really difficult.
0: I, I know the last time I did, I, I think the year before COVID was the last time I did it. And it was the Dam buster. I think. Uh um, the water. And yes, I said exactly the same thing. Oh, God, that hurts so much.
1: It does, doesn't it? really yeah. does. I've got that and then a few other races, a couple or two races in June. Um and then yeah, back on it, hopefully.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Well, that's good. Well, I was back on it because I had so last obviously the weekend before last, you know, Outlaw half, which went pretty well for me, but we oh, were, it's your really... recovery.
1: And then you've just you've just dived back into a massive. Tour of the peat District the weekend after.
0: Yes. Well the, the the planning wasn't particularly brilliant. I'm not actually sure I realized that they were only a week apart when I um until about a week before the outlaw. Um,
1: I a planner by trade.
0: Pardon a planner, by, a planner yes
1: <laughs> yes uh,
0: yes yes that was poor planning. Um but yeah so I and and actually even poorer planning was I because I'd had so much other stuff going on and because of the outlaw half I didn't actually really pay any attention to what I'd signed up to with the Tour of the Peaks, yeah. and uh, hilly about, isn't it? it is very, <laughs> very hilly. And in fact, I mean, I always remember people describing the Fred Witten as being the toughest sportive in the UK. We're about three quarters of the way around the Tour of the Peaks, I said to uh, Giles, who I was cycling with, um, I said, "How does this compare, total ascent wise, to the Fred Witten?" He said, oh, "Yeah, it's about the same." So I really should have looked at this route beforehand. Um, <laughs>
1: I think not. Like when I lived in Yorkshire, I did the Attack to Dells a couple of times, and geez, that was really blooming difficult. But I had no idea when I signed up to it, and in a way, probably the best thing I ever did because the, the second time I did it, I knew what was coming.
0: Yeah, well, that's that's exactly <laughs> it. And I just kept we just kept getting big climb after big climb after big, and and some good steep climbs in as well. Anyway, I loved it. It was gr- it was a great day. Yeah. um We got perfect weather. It was dry. It was warm but not hot. Uh it wasn't windy. Um so yeah it was fantastic. It was, it was I've never really, I don't think I've ever cycled in the peaks before which is ridiculous because it's like less than 2 hours away from yeah, me. Yeah. But it was well, How
1: it was, was your beautiful. recovery afterwards?
0: Um well I it was it was <laughs> so you know after some races so when I did we did the dragon ride um years ago they handed me down in of, Wales, Wales isn't
1: it? Yeah that's it. Yeah
0: um 142 very hilly miles again and the first thing they handed you was a can of erdinger now at the time i didn't know it was alcohol free so i was like a beer (laughs) straight after that i can't and then i realized it was alcohol free and it was all good and have had erdinger many times since um and and but yesterday after the tour of the peaks the first thing they handed you as you crossed the finish line was an actual proper beer
1: Oh, really, was it that from a local brewery or something?
0: No, it wasn't. It was one oh. of those little French stubbies that you used oh, to drink when you were when you were when I was at university. Um, but it got me thinking. So what? Um, so my recovery started with a beer, then it was a bit more sensible <laughs> and went to yeah, and then it's, then he went to a protein shake and some Precision Hydration fifteen hundred electrolyte. Then I threw in a can of Coke and a. Um, and a mint magnum so there's there was all sorts of things in there
1: you didn't um, go too far wrong actually it's quite interesting
0: so so pull yeah. apart that let's start with the beer well is a beer good
1: well, interestingly and I know I mentioned to, this to you before but there there's been like a recent um systematic review of um beer after racing and I mean the like to bear in mind for everybody listening these are small studies um and there are some flaws in these studies and they're also based on men but the kind of little takeaway points were and actually this is this is what you'll love and probably what a lot of people will love is the fact that actually um when you look at beer versus water there's a there's a beverage hydration index which i talked about actually quite some months ago i think before but um basically looking at the hydration properties of things like water and milk and rehydration solutions and actually beer and water aren't too significantly different in terms of hydration but and this is the big but is the amount that you drink of it afterwards so if you're looking for the rehydration properties of it and the um the uh the good things that are in there so the, something we call um like flavonoids so they're polyphenols basically so these are kind of active uh, components of um, certain foodstuffs. So, these kind of components of beer may help to reduce inflammation, which obviously, after you've done training, um increases inflammation. But it depends on how much you drink. So, it's been postulated that maybe max 600 mils, what's that? It's a pint, isn't it? A pint of beer. Roughly
0: speaking, yeah. yeah.
1: um But if you have it alongside something that helps with hydration, so some added sodium or having something like a recovery, um, milkshake or like a whey protein recovery that because of its hydrating properties um and the fact it's a foodstuff and has sodium in, may help <laughs> with some form of hydration so there are a few little benefits to it um but it is likely obviously if you have too much it's going to affect rehydration so you're going to feel pretty terrible the next day and also if you're thinking about um making muscle so muscle protein synthesis it does alcohol definitely interferes with that does it? Um, but from a rehydration point of view actually you know a pint, as long as you have something to eat and have something to um some sodium with it um but interesting interestingly because you're you're a lover of uh non-alcoholic beers aren't you I am. Um, so there were actually the, the benefits, because a lot of these sports beers, you might, because you mentioned things like Erdinger, and I think that was one of the first.
0: Isotonic.
1: Alcohol, yeah.
0: Alcohol-free beer.
1: Exactly. And actually some of the research was done in, in these type of non-alcoholic beers. So the kind of beer that I've just been talking about was um, more than 4%, but that's kind of what we're talking We're not talking some of the really strong um is it like and things it's like seven percent or something isn't it i definitely
0: don't need a a seven (laughs) percent beer after racing but that would be a very very uh short-lived um recovery yeah i
1: think it's a thing it's about being you know it's about being sensible but the fact that it does have some of these nice little properties of these flavonoids that are in there can help to reduce um information but yeah take it Take it as you will. I'm not suggesting we all go out there and do that at all. Um, but the big take-home point from that as well is about rehydration, a bit of sodium and food. And actually, if you get in something like a milkshake afterwards or a, a whey protein recovery, then actually you're doing a pretty good job. So the magnum there, you know, you could could suggest that there's some calcium, you know, in there and 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 obviously whey and casein in there. So, yeah, did a pretty good job.
0: I thought it was all right. And then when I got home, I had roast chicken and a couple of glasses of wine. So how how does roast chicken and wine again fit into the post recovery? Wine,
1: thing. if it was red or white.
0: Well, I have to confess, I, it was white. Normally, it would have been red, but I was being tight. I'd got a bottle of white that was open, and <laughs> I hadn't got a bottle of red that was open.
1: Well, I guess the, I guess the only thing there is that. Um. So the chicken sounds great in terms of um actually helping you to sleep. You've got um the tryptophan, which is one of the amino acids that can help in terms of sleep. Um, so you've got that in chicken and turkey in particular, um, you also get it in like uh dairy products as well. But maybe that wine may have helped you feel like you were getting to sleep because you know we talked before actually when we did our event, like sleep was horrendous, wasn't it? But like mm-hmm. um, so we can that can help us feel like we're getting to sleep, but actually that could have interfered with how you felt this morning. This morning?
0: Yes, this morning.
1: Um, so in terms of like um not actually getting very good quality sleep but also interfering with hydration as well. Um so
0: well my funnily enough my aura ring co-
1: approach to recovery.
0: Yeah my aura ring <laughs> told me that I didn't get much deep sleep last night. So it could have been the the two glasses of wine. But
1: um but also yeah. just that like stimulation from lots of training as well. Yeah
0: I suspect it was more more to do with that but um but yeah no so it was so recovery I feel actually okay today. I've got a slightly stiffer legs than I would like to have on a Monday,
1: two glasses uh, of the wine.
0: Yeah, blame <laughs> the wine, not the uh, 113 hilly yeah. miles. Um, <laughs> excellent. Well, thank you for that insight, and I'm pleased to know that my recovery hit the mark in in some way, even if it was probably slightly awry in others. Um, but let's dive into the interview now with Jan Siberson. Thirty-three Fuel produce award-winning natural sports nutrition, and everything they do is led by their philosophy for performance, for health, and for a fitter future. Thirty-three Fuels' awesome products have been fueling triathletes worldwide since two thousand and twelve, as well as many of the world's best athletes. So, from the England football team to Tour de France winners and triathlon world champions, including four times Ironman World champ, Chrissy Wellington, who's been using 33Fuel for years. 33Fuel also leads sports nutrition sustainability with plant-focused formulas for reduced environmental impact, recyclable packaging, and carbon neutral delivery on all orders, which also got them rated as um, by Runners World as one of the top 50 eco-hero companies worldwide. Another reason why I love what Warren and Erica are doing at 33Fuel. So to find out more about 33Fuel, go to 33Fuel.com, and if you use the code TRIBEATHLON or click the link in the show notes, you'll get an extra special discount uh, when you purchase your amazing stock of 33 fuel. Jan Siversen broke the Kona swim record in 2018, recording an incredible 46 minutes and 29 seconds at the age of 43. And that was many years after being first out of the water at his first ever race there. So with German national swim team experience, uh, he actually initially only embraced triathlon in the off season, um, but it soon became his passion. So after multiple Kona experiences, um, he went on to manage a, a young, promising Ironman athlete by the name of Patrick Langer. You may have heard of him. Uh, he's also decided. He also decided just you know, years ago to step away from the corporate investment banking world, and he set up his own wetsuit brand called Sailfish, which now sponsors many of the top athletes from around the world. So Claire and I wanted to get uh, the chance to chat to Jan about the energy of leading the race, both the energy of it, but also dealing with the psychological um, issue of being passed by. On the bike and on the run by lots of other athletes that are perhaps as fast as them on the swim Uh, and also we wanted to chat to him about how to choose the right wetsuit and also how triathletes can improve their swim race times and what sort of what's the worst advice that we hear around swimming so I know that you're gonna absolutely love. this so much brilliant stuff in this interview Um, Jan was um, really forthcoming with loads of great advice Uh, And so I know you're going to really enjoy this interview with Jan Siversen. So Jan, welcome to the Tribe Athlon podcast. I'm joined here by Claire as always as well. I'm really looking forward to chatting to you about all things swimming and wetsuits. But like with all of our um guests i'd like you to kick off by telling those people that don't know much about you a little bit about your background you know sort of let's start with how did you get into swimming and and, and therefore and then triathlon after that
2: yes uh charlie thanks so much for the intro and uh, i'm very glad to be on the show um yeah a little bit of background on myself um i uh Got into swimming basically before I got into uh, walking uh, up up straight because my um, both my parents were in uh, in education. My dad was a physical um, education teacher. So um, from very soon on, um, I was exposed to all different sorts of sports and swimming was one of the first of them. Um, So I think I started swimming around uh, or I I started getting thrown in the water around like two and a half, three years, maybe. And um, I think I completed my first 25 meters uh, at the age of four or something like that. So So, 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 uh, you still uh, have the badge? (laughs) <laughs> i still i said it, it might be in one of the drawers and uh at some point there was like three or four badges and the the, the swimsuit was too small so um uh th- those are the good old days right with all the all the badges yeah so um, um there was an early early start of the swimming career and uh I made it to the junior national team Um, at the same time. I was still actually also uh, active in skiing in downhill skiing and um, was also making the the junior national team had to decide uh, eventually what sports to uh, pursue further. And it ended up being swimming for uh, various reasons. But um, I think the, the biggest one was the you know the, the the you're not getting injured or or let's say the risk of getting injured not being as high as in downhill skiing so that's how i
0: ended up being a swimmer was there also do i remember hearing there was also a link to alcohol your parents wanted to keep you away from alcohol no oh, <laughs> yes <laughs> so so there was
2: a there was there is a, a, a in germany in in the south of bavaria there is a Uh, a boarding school a skiing boarding school and so when you when you're on the team um, this is kind of the school that you kind of have to go to in order to progress to a more uh, senior level and we went there with my parents, and for some reason, they found out that uh, those students would actually have a beer everyone every now and then. And that was then I immediately was like, Jan, you're becoming a swimmer." <laughs> so that was uh, I think if I would have insisted, I probably would have would have been able to succeed, but uh, no, um, it ended up being swimming, and uh, i'm I'm very grateful for that. And in retrospect, I think it was a great uh, great decision
0: fantastic yeah. so tell tell us a little bit about how you progressed through the your um through swimming and and sort of your your highlight of of your swimming career
2: well you know i never um you know made it all the way to the top so i would say i was always a b national team uh so it's like the let's say the third uh plus uh ranked in in germany um, so I, you know, I tried to qualify for the Olympics. Um, I d- didn't make that, uh, I swam, I swam at the world and I swam at Europeans. And, uh, you know, I think I had, I had, uh, over the course of my swimming career, which I would say was between 1990 and 2000. Um, I had some really, really, uh, let's say great experiences and, and great races, um, one in particular, I was still a junior and, uh, it was a 400 freestyle event. And it was for the first time in my life that I experienced something, um, that I would call like, uh, performing in flow where you basically, you do the race and then afterwards you look back and you don't really know how you did it. And because you just remembered getting on the start block and then touching, uh, touching the wall after 400 meters so and, and in the in the middle everything became a, a blur and uh and and i think that's something um i mean there's been research on all this uh, kind of stuff on on flow uh but being one at at the moment and being in in flow and not uh a, it's one of the greatest feelings as an athlete uh, that you can have so i would i would pretty much uh, you know not you know, not that medal here, not that medal there, but it was that race when I experienced that for the first time. That was most
0: outstanding. Brilliant. And and when you think back to that, was there um, was was there anything that you kind of identified about that race that you kind of maybe helped you get into flow? That's a that's
2: a very good question. I remember that I um, I was very well prepared for the for the whole meet. It was a it was a four day meet and uh, was the, at the finals of the very first day. And um, and then like a week before the race, when you start the taper, or a week before the event, before when you start the taper, uh, your body does all these weird things, you know, and you don't know if it's still if it is it still going to work on race day or not. And you want to try, but then you shouldn't because you need to rest. So it was this kind of like state of uncertainty, I would say, um, that, uh, that, that was before. But, um, and then it, it kind of like changed during the day. So you do prelims in the morning and the final in the evening. And at prelims, I was still feeling like, ah, a little bit here and there. But then I think it was the first time that I raced in an atmosphere with a lot of spectators, etc. Um, but. But I think that's really the difficult part. Then, um, how do you replicate it? You know, because you've had this feeling, and you don't exactly know how you got into it, um, and it became kind of like I don't want to say the the chase of a swimming career. Um, but um, I'm sure if you ask uh, other top athletes, they'll tell you the same. You know, you'll you know you don't become superstitious or anything, but you try to do things exactly the same how you did it then to try to replicate it and sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't happen but um it's uh i guess it's one of the keys on uh if you can solve that uh that riddle and 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 uh, know how to get yourself into that state of mind state of body state of uh you name it uh then you know you get yourself a winner mm, um i never i never really i never really figured it out 100 percent. i think it it's body, mind, soul—you name it. Um, I guess if your if your brain is preoccupied with other stuff in your life, uh, I, I think it's probably hard to get into that state. Um, if you're not well prepared uh, for the race, um, I, I probably think it's it's the same because at some point <laughs> stuff just gonna hurt and you think about the pain and think about different stuff. So I think a lot of stuff needs to come together. But when I watched uh, later on, when I watched like Ian Thorpe or or, or Phelps uh, swimming. You know, they must have been in this sort of state uh, in order to achieve the, the things that they achieve.
0: It's interesting, isn't it? Some of those things that you described are the things that put you in, some people in flow, but they're also some of the things that exactly would put have the opposite effect and cause some people to choke, aren't they? So it, you're right, it is. or It's it's really, really difficult. Um, so how did um, you, progressing through a good, but as you say, you didn't quite reach the, the top of the game in Germany, in your swimming career how did that translate into then you um ending up in triathlon
2: yeah um so when when the swimming season uh the swimming season usually would run until like june july and would end with either nationals or then an international event and when that was over you pretty much had like three to six weeks off over the summer and um a couple of my friends back in my hometown they would do triathlons and uh they said hey and you know you We see you cycling to the pool every day and um, pretty much uh, we see you running every once in a while why don't you try a triathlon so uh it was back in 93 when 1993 when i did my first olympic distance triathlon and uh well it, it hurt a lot but it was also a lot of fun and um so i always had a had a little bit of a triathlon gene in in myself um then I went to the states, uh, went to school in in the U.S. for four years, and there was no, there was basically no triathlon during those four years. But um, <clears throat> when I when I graduated from school, uh, ended up uh, being uh, or g- going to New York, working as an investment banker. Uh, then I asked myself, look, this has this already been been it in terms of sports at the age of twenty five? Because I still felt quite young, and uh, I thought, you know, this. Uh, am I going to spend the rest of my life in in an office building? And I said I clearly I clearly answered that question with a no. So um, it was by coincidence a friend of mine came and visited me on Thanksgiving in uh, in the year two thousand in New York, and he signed up for uh, the half Ironman in St Croix in the U.S. Virgin Islands in the Caribbean. So um, I was like, wow, this is cool. You know, I uh, I want to go there as well in the beginning i wanted to support him and then i uh, i was like why don't i do the race myself so that's how i got into that's how i got into triathlon
0: yeah awesome and and i i think you uh, you qualified for kona a bit quicker than you were expecting didn't you so um so tell us tell us a little bit about that and and how how you got to kona so soon
2: also you know working and living in new york is uh is one thing and um I, you know, this event back then was in early May, and so I started training probably I'd say in February or so, January, February. Uh, so I would swim at the downtown athletic club. There's a there's a 25 yard pool in uh, one of the high rises in downtown Manhattan. I would cycle um, up uh, on the on the west uh, West Side Highway in New York City, and then you can cross the Washington Bridge, and then you go up. Uh, uh, a road called nine w i think and every every triathlete in new york knows it and you run in in central park right so you take the you take the subway up to up to central park and then central park round is 10k and you do one or maybe one and a half i, I don't think i've ever managed to make two two rounds <laughs> um so i trained for it and then we we flew down to the to the caribbean um And for me, it was more like getting in a vacation uh, from this uh, stressful investment banking life. So for one week, it was like relaxing and diving and a little bit of rum and coke and uh, a little bit of party. And, you know, I was I think I was for the first time I was in my in my after my swimming career, I was really tapered or it was really rested um and we were joking in front of before the race uh, what what would happen and uh, so i had no real expectations but uh it kept on going 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 and it and it worked and uh, it worked it uh i could hold on to the to the pacing to the to the I didn't make really a strategy but ended up winning my age group and and suddenly someone said to me do you want to go to kona <laughs> I go, i'll i'll do that sure um and back then you had to make up in when you applied or when you when you entered the race you had to make you had to cross out i want to get a corner slot and luckily i just made that cross i didn't really think about it beforehand but uh so if i hadn't made that one you, you wouldn't be able to go so i took the corner slot and uh yeah four five, five six months later or uh, yeah uh, yeah five months later um i was on the plane to hawaii
0: it's just amazing how how that's so different to like I'm busting a gut here, and I'm a million miles away from qualifying for Kona. And Claire, you've just qualified for Kona, but you've been busting a gut to get there, haven't you? Uh, what do you make of that? Me? Yeah. <laughs>
1: well, I, I was just about to ask actually, because I was going to bring this up because I I wonder whether when you don't have huge expectations, um because Jan, you were saying, well, you know, you had a bit of rum and coke, you are enjoying yourself. You know, you've been out partying a little bit, but you've been really well tapered and, and no like massive expectations. And I sometimes wonder whether that is actually very helpful to a stressful situation as well, because you you, you kind of just go out there and, and get on with it, don't you?
2: Well, I think there's a. Um, I think you're you're already pressing the right points. Um, I think there is. Um you know, when you, when you look at races and when you look at people at the start line and uh, especially Ironman or half Ironman or qualifiers in in, in general, you know, people, you know, I don't want to say, you know, it's good to be focused, but if you are, if you are so focused that you lose your, your relaxing uh, when it's not relaxed anymore, then I think you can't perform at your peak. And, um, and the other thing I always say is I, I firmly believe that at least uh, a quarter of the people at the start line are not r- uh, rested well enough uh, i think i think uh, that's uh, that's a common uh, common problem in, in in coaching and i think it's probably gotten better but uh, but uh, especially for kona you know when you when you see people at the start line in kona it's been a long season it's been a long year they've had to qualify then they fly out for 24 hours they get to the island they try to train a little bit more and see if it's all still there and they get to the start line and they're basically i mean it, the adrenaline is up but um they won't have a great race because they they get t- they go tired into the race so yeah i mean um it uh you know back and back then i mean it, it maybe it wasn't as easy as i described it i mean obviously i came with a with a huge um let's say engine uh from swimming and that engine was still running very well, and it's relatively, I would say, easy to translate it on the bike. Yes, you need more specific training for the run, but um, I think, uh, and and you can, you know, in a in a, in a half distance, uh, you can still fake it on the run if you if you're not such a sophisticated um, uh, runner in the end. So you just you know you hold on before you fade. Um, so that's I think uh, to put it a little bit into perspective how how it all happened back then.
0: Brilliant. And I'm I'm hoping you're heeding this advice, Claire, knowing what (laughs) jam-packed race schedule you've got for this year.
1: (laughs) I was just about to ask, actually, as well, like your connection, obviously, when you were in investment banking, do you think that kind of, and maybe this is my perception of it being extremely stressful, but do you you think that kind of your background and being in that stressful environment actually is helpful for, for competing because you're used to kind of, being in a state of stress or being able to um, kind of calm yourself down in the state of stress
2: yeah i think i think it comes down to also to like personality or the, the, the nature of personality um you know there is i mean there is people out there who for them for them triathlon is everything right and uh, they have their jobs and and they have their lives and uh, and then there is this one this one sparkle in their life and it's triathlon and they they give it all and they and they and they want it all and then uh, come race they come along um they, they 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 tighten up because the burden is so heavy so so i think you know feeding from different areas in life and not placing too much value uh on the sport because You know, you also, I think we always, we also, you know, can't take ourselves too, I don't want to say seriously, but too too important um, and say, look, you know, who, at the end of the day really cares whether uh, an age grouper makes it to Kona or not and there is there you know there is not that many people so I think you know be easy on yourself uh, here and there a little bit it's of course it's easier uh for me to say this having done all this before but but I think put things in perspective and uh and say look you know it's not the end of the world if this doesn't happen and uh, know have a glass of if 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 you are uh, you know if you like you to enjoy your glass of wine every once in a while have a glass of wine the night before the race it's not going to kill your race and maybe it maybe it'll make you sleep and uh, that might be more beneficial to the next day um than anything else
0: that's the sort of advice we like i like i like <laughs> that. Well, definitely i well, was definitely yeah.
2: him well, I said I said one glass, right? One glass.
0: <laughs> Not one bottle. Um, exactly. Yeah. So how did your first race in Kona go?
2: Um, it, it didn't go as planned, I must say. So I had the whole family come out with me and everybody was super excited uh, that, uh, you know, they get their first trip to Hawaii. And uh, so we flew out, um, I think, two weeks before or 10 days before. And we first went to the big, uh, to the, to uh, Oahu, to um the other island, and um, I went on with my dad, as a big avid uh, fisherman. So we went on an on an offshore fishing uh, trip. And it was a very, very rough day on the water. And usually I don't get seasick, but, but I got seasick like hell. And uh, I, I was the one feeding the fish. Uh, we didn't catch that many. But um, basically, that was exactly one week before the race. And, uh, and I was pretty much um, completely exhausted. No more electrolytes, nothing. And it took me yeah all the way to race day to, uh, to recover from that, I would say and um yeah i mean i i did manage first out of water but i had to really put everything into that and i wasn't really uh, that first year it was all about you know first out of water and then whatever the day holds for me and it, 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 i wanted to finish it take it off my my uh bucket uh life to-do list and then I move on in life and and do this once and 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 that's it so um yeah I mean got first out of water i think i arrived at uh, ten and a half hours which yeah, wasn't great but wa- wasn't uh, wasn't bad either it was a super windy day um there were there were uh, a couple of uh, girls uh, that were blown off the highway literally uh, with their bikes um it, it was it was absolutely um horrific but i i was super happy to have to have finished it to have done it and that's actually when i thought okay this this is it, this is over. Now back to investment banking for the rest of my life.
0: Wow, But that's so, that's so cool. The first appearance at Kona and your first out of the water. Um, I heard you say, while I was doing my research, um, I think it was a quote from Mark Allen, wasn't it? About the power, something along the lines of the power is with the leader. So talk to us about that. You've obviously been first out of the water now a few times uh, at Kona. Talk to me about that Mark Allen saying and, and what it really felt like to, to be leading the, the World Championships at Kona.
2: Well, um, I don't know where I picked it up, uh, where I picked that quote up. But um, I think it was like the energy is with the lead, that that was what he said. Mm. And, um, you know, it's, it's hard to describe. Uh, and. You have to like pinch yourself sometimes, and and I get goosebumps when I when I talk about it, when I think about it, because uh, yeah, you you get out of the water, and I mean, in the water you don't really realize much or you don't really see much, but once you get out, you've got all the spectators, and then suddenly there is TV cameras uh, in front of you, behind you, left, right, and center. And you ride through town, and everybody's cheering, and everybody is super excited, and uh, and you go all out, right? I mean, that's that's uh, that's what I did, and uh, I mean, I knew I was going to fade, but uh, you know, enjoy the enjoy the glory as long as you can. And later later on in 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 the, in the subsequent years that I raced in Kona, it was important for the sponsors, obviously, uh, to to be out front um, as long as I could, and I think it was. It might have been the first year and a a German TV car came up to me and they interviewed me while I was riding in the the front. And I thought, this is really, really cool. And basically, you know, you you have goosebumps all the way. Uh, And I think the most special moment I've I've ever had um, leading that race was when you go past the, uh, on the bike, you go past uh, the airport and then there's a scenic point and then there's a long, long downhill, uh, maybe like two or three miles or so. And uh, and the helicopter, the TV helicopter, went pretty much all the way down on the road, maybe a mile in front of me. So I was riding in arrow position towards that uh, helicopter that was hovering on top of the road. And I mean, I'm yeah, goosebumps all over. That was probably the coolest moment ever. And then obviously, sooner or later, somebody would come, uh, one of the big names, and uh, and then it ended
0: within a second. (laughs) (laughs) didn't somebody when when the when somebody i can't remember who it was somebody overtook you and they said great great racing or something didn't they who was that it was
2: it was actually simon lessing um uh, that was in 2004 uh back then my my last attempt at the at the swim record and i had missed it again by 20 seconds or so and uh, i was i was leading the race um obviously and uh i think it was at, at at 40k into the bike or so that was this the second large group that came by or the first large group and he was at the end of it and i had met him uh a year before or so and uh i thought i mean back then sir simon right uh he was he was the name in the sport and and i couldn't believe it like he wrote by and he says hey jan how are you and did you get the record and i said no i didn't and so we chatted for like seconds or so and uh sure enough 30 seconds later i got a penalty for talking to someone else i don't i still don't know why but uh some of the some of the hawaiian uh bike cowboys gave me a a four-minute penalty and um yeah had to serve that in the end but for me it didn't really matter so uh don't so chat t- too much
0: don't you t- well i suppose because once you've been overtaken you've got to drop back haven't you? you've you got to drop out of your um out of the w- window but um but yeah you wouldn't have been getting any advantage that's for sure um what um so tell us a bit about trying to break the kona swim record well, I can
2: tell you, it took a really long time. <laughs> um, so I raced Kona six times, and I'll make it. I'll make it brief. Uh, first time, I told you quite extensively, um, that it didn't work out. Uh, second time around, um, it was uh, a year where it was super, super wavy. So they wanted, oh, they they were about to cancel the swim. Because there were like six to ten foot waves um, in the morning, and there was a big storm at night. But then, and that's how the legend has been told, the dolphins came out, and then everybody knew it was safe to swim. Um, I think it was there were three hundred people that dropped out of the swim in that year, two thousand two, uh, because it was it was a true rough water swim, and literally, uh, you know, you you could hardly see the buoys because of all the ups and downs uh, that that you were tossed around. And, um, yeah, I swam a 48 and change and uh, the, the record back then stood at 46, 44. And, um, yeah, I had a five minute lead, uh, to the second guy out of the water. So, um, that was also the year that I led all the way to, uh, Kauai high. So probably about 60, 70 K into the bike, uh, year three i really wanted it uh so this is 2003 uh and i trained for it even even uh, more specifically um and the clock stopped at 46.50, six seconds over that that hurt that really hurt it, because i mean six seconds at 10 meters right uh and that's just luck or, or no luck right and uh in in t- 2004 last attempt and that was a 47 and change uh it was mm-hmm. something like 20 seconds over so uh didn't feel much better than in 2003 i can tell you yeah and that was and then i didn't qualify in oh five, and then uh I slowly but surely got into the business world never really forgot about the record you know i you know, deep down in myself, I was like, "I deserve this one." <laughs> and uh, but you know, time time goes by, and uh, you think, "Okay, that's that's it." But it was still there. And so, in 2016, I returned to Kona. So I, w- I would go back frequently, but only to to watch or to work a little bit for German TV um, as a swim expert, etc. And in 2016, I came back to um, to help this kid Patrick Lange uh, because it was his first year and um he asked me if i if i could tag along and and i said well, you know i haven't been to kona in four years so I'll, I'll you know check it out and back then i stood at the start line and i and, and when the gun went off like you know you everybody gets goosebumps um and i thought well why don't i well, you know i should i should do this one more time right and uh, let's i should give it another shot uh, I, I i stayed reasonably fit over the years and and um, yeah, so uh, the mission uh, Kona swim record um, was revived, so to say. And this time um, I knew, okay, you know, this, uh, I've done all these and these mistakes over the years. I've, I've thought it through a, a million times of what could have gone wrong. And, but at the end of the day, you still need a very, very good day um, in the water um, in terms of uh, conditions. Right. So you don't want to have waves. You don't want to have uh, wind. Obviously, there's there's hardly any wind in Kona, but you don't. uh, Ideally, um, there is no current or very little current because the current can be very strong, especially on the way back. Uh, And, uh, you know, in 2018, um, I got uh, I was prepared and I got lucky with the with the external conditions. And and that's when it then finally happened.
0: Excellent.
2: And how much did you beat the record by? 15 seconds. Um, So I was on the other side of the scale at that time and now it's at uh, um, 46.29 and it had stood for 23 years before. Uh, It was set in 1995 by Lars Jurgensen and Yeah, and then now people are accusing me that I put on COVID so that Hawaii wouldn't take place and the record
0: stays on longer. But (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't me. It wasn't me. I can't take the plane. So you Uh, have the swim record for the fastest swim at Kona. I think you also potentially have another record at Kona, don't you? Do you want to tell us about that?
2: Yeah, I always say jokingly, um, the second record in Kona uh, was actually at the same race. Uh, And being the athlete that was passed the most, so uh, I think um, uh, I really have to look it up. I think I came in in, in one thousand three hundredth place or so. Still at a ten twenty six or ten twenty nine. Uh, but obviously the overall um, uh, the overall performance has has uh, um, has increased a lot in Kona. So um, ten, you know, I, in my first year in two thousand one, the ten twenty six or so uh, was a two hundred and thirtieth place. And uh, twenty years later, or no, not twenty years later, but uh, seventeen years later, that that same time uh, got you one thousand three hundredth place. Wow. So it's crazy how the uh, how the performance. It was also an easier year, but still, uh, I think that's not, noteworthy. But yeah, I was passed by one thousand three hundred and something people. <laughs> a friend of mine is
0: a friend of mine is a very strong swimmer, and he always uh, he's a good so- cyclist but he struggles with his running. So he has exactly the same problem. Uh, How do you deal with that from a psychological perspective? Have you got any sort of advice for people that are very good, you know, their strongest element is the swimming and then they constantly spend the rest of the race getting past. Well, I think
2: it depends on, you know, it all depends on what you want to achieve, what you want to get out of this race. And if you are aware of the fact that you are not the greatest runner or not the greatest cyclist, then um, I think it's much easier uh, psychologically than if you, you know, you try to hang on to this group and then you get you get spit out in the end, uh, or you're trying to hang on to that runner and then um, he or she uh, runs away. So <clears throat> I think, you know, at uh, at some point, usually during the during the race, there is someone um, who. Uh, you know who you see twice because they overpaced and then you'll see him again or her again so that's those are the little psychological um, wins that you uh, that you should look for if and, and and I also think on the run then at the very latest it kind of evens out a bit and you usually find someone you can run with uh and that's what i always did in in pretty much all of my ironman uh at some point during the run let it be 10k 20k or so uh you have someone who is who is kind of in your in your performance uh realm and and then you just go with him or him. yeah do you find and that's where you make the fr- that's where you make the friendships right i was gonna say so you're actually that's, chatting that's very to true, people.
1: isn't it when you're when you're chatting at that point or when you can um just kind of pass them on the finish line i think that's the best bit as
2: well <laughs> yeah well i mean if you if you constantly chat to someone on the run then you probably don't run fast enough but if you let's say if you chat with someone uh, that runs next to you every kilometer or every aid station or so then it can be i think very very uplifting and i've had a few of these uh experiences and it's it's actually kind of cool i haven't made friends for life though <laughs>
0: Well, Claire knows all about passing somebody at the right at the end of, the, of a race because we did a thirteen-hour ultramarathon together. But you made sure that you crossed the line ahead of me, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> so, so tell me a little bit about. Um, uh, so you were in investment banking, and then you went off and created your own wetsuit. Brand and company, Sailfish. So, tell us a little bit about that transition from the corporate life into setting up your own business, and kind of what spurred that on.
2: Yeah, uh, I, I worked in uh, in New York for a year, as I as I, as I told earlier, and um, and then I worked another year in Frankfurt for the same bank, and that was that happened to be the year two thousand two. When the Ironman in uh, the back then it was called Ironman Europe because it was the, the first one in, in Roth, Roth, how the uh, how the English say, um, moved from Roth to Frankfurt. And uh, because Frankfurt was preparing an, a bit for the Olympic Games and so uh, that's how they could make it happen to do uh, a race like that in, in a major city in, in Germany and i was working in frankfurt and my my boss back then he was uh, he was a super sports fan and he said jan you've got to do that race i mean you've just done hawaii and you've got to do it and i said "No," i thought i thought i was done with this you know and we're now going to make some money and he said no 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 you have to do this race this is um... and i said all right no I- i'll do it and uh that was pretty much the end of my end of my uh, investment banking career I mean, I thought back then. My plan was, okay, let's do triathlon for a couple of years. Let's travel around the world. Let's—I uh, did an around-the-world trip actually uh, for pretty much a year, where I traveled just with a bike and um, and then speedo wetsuits and running shoes. So that was really, really cool to be able to to do that back then. Um, and then I thought I would go to business school, get an MBA, and go back into finance later on. Um, but uh by 2004 i started selling wetsuits um from not from selfish different brand on the side and that business uh exploded and i mean triathlon exploded uh, a lot of people got into the sport and um so the business part became more and more um, relevant. Um, <clears throat> but I soon realized and I think this was yeah, 2006 2000 uh, 2005 2006, that uh, it's, it's a much better place to be in when you are the owner of a brand than being a distributor or being an agent. So um, that's when the idea of uh, founding my own company, founding my own brand uh, evolved. Um, so yeah, it didn't come overnight, uh, but at some point, my uh, girlfriend back then she came up with a name, Sailfish, and uh, she said, "This is the fastest fish in the world, and you know you seem to be a pretty decent swimmer, so why don't you call the brand Sailfish?" And uh, so I looked it up, and we, you know, you will go through a registering process, you trademark everything pretty much globally, uh, the right classes, etc., and there it was, born, born out of the water in two thousand seven.
0: Yeah, fantastic. It is a great name, and I love I love the reason that you called it selfish. Actually, I think it's um that's that's brilliant. So, t- tell us a little bit about you know when you're choosing a wetsuit. It's actually really tricky, isn't it? To know there's so much complexity around the subject. Um, uh, tell us a little bit about how you can how people should go about choosing a wetsuit.
2: Well, we um you know everybody every brand takes uh maybe not a different approach, but they take um, they take a certain approach to, to their wetsuit line. And, and the way I look at it is, you know, you have certain uh, types of swimmers. You know, you have swimmers who who need a lot of support, who need a lot of buoyancy, because otherwise uh, they, they're just like a brick in the water. Uh, I don't want to offend anyone, but, but that's what it looks like. And then there is there is uh, there is athletes who have a great swimming background. They have a great water position, and all they want is uh, a little bit of neoprene, and uh, so that they wear a, a suit, a little bit of cold protection. But other than that, they want flexibility and a very natural feeling to um, uh, to their swimming, um, and so on and so forth. So um, we basically have. Four different suits, uh, four different wetsuits, uh, performance wetsuits in our line, and they are designed for a certain type of swimmer. So, um, and also, I must admit, to a, for a certain type of budget, because the more you pack into a suit, the more technology goes in, it, it also becomes a bit more expensive. So, um, but I would say that we can, you know, w- with a range of suits that we're offering, we can uh, pretty much help every every swimmer, uh, or every swimmer type. On, on what he or she brings uh, to the equation to the water yeah that's that's our that's our um philosophy and our approach
0: so how how does somebody work out which of those suits other than their budget how how do they work out which is the right suit for them
2: well most importantly and uh, i mean we do a lot of um demo swims especially in continental europe um is to to try out a suit and to uh, to feel comfortable in it and that's what I, that's what I always say first, you know, no matter what brand you're ending up buying and, uh, <clears throat> it, uh, the most important aspect of a wetsuit is that you feel comfortable in it because mm-hmm. you will encounter stressful situations. And in those stressful situations, the last thing you want to think about is, oh, you know, I, I, I feel a little bit restricted here or there it's, then it's about solving the situation and not think about your wetsuit. Mm-hmm. So number one priority in, in my eyes is, is uh, feel comfortable. And that's something that uh, oftentimes you can only experience if you've tried it. Um, and, uh, but if you can't, um, well, I mean, I don't want to, don't want to be uh, too commercial here, but um, I think our suits have a very, very good fit. And I think we we're known for, um, for a very uh, body ergonomic uh, sizing patterns um so i think we we can cover 98 90, 97% of people uh in terms of fit really really well and then it really comes down to a second decision is is probably budget um whether you want to be on the top end or on the uh, on the middle or on the on the lower end and uh and we've got solutions there uh, both in terms of buoyancy flexibility um and um yeah so uh, probably the best is uh, there's a wetsuit finder. um you type in a few uh, characteristics and then it'll 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 spit out uh, a couple of options, what we believe is the best suit for you.
0: And what sort of performance gains can you get from so if somebody picked the the cheapest wetsuit on your range versus the most expensive wetsuit on your range, what sort of performance might difference might they see?
2: Um, I think it depends uh, It depends on the kind of uh, swimmer you are. I've experienced so much in this area, uh, and it doesn't necessarily mean uh, you'll get more performance gains from uh, the top-end suit. The top-end suit might just suit you better. Um, but let's say a, a, a bad swimmer um, – that you know call it relative but um a, a bad swimmer getting into into uh, a, a good suit might gain 10 15 seconds per 100 meters i've, I've seen the, the, the most crazy crazy uh, things there whereas if you have a, a swimmer like me uh i probably uh swimming with a suit versus swimming without a suit it probably uh, takes two to three seconds off per hundred uh of my time so wow. not that much uh <clears throat> and um but but will will uh, a top end suit with all the features um uh, help a better swimmer more than an entry-level suit that is not so flexible yes it will uh, and usually you only see the outcome or you see the benefits of a of a of a high-end suit not after 500 meters not after a thousand meters you you see it in the last third of the race or uh, especially, or in an Ironman, you you know, on the second half of the, of the swim part, that's when people start, I don't, you know, start falling apart kind of, and that's when the, that, that's when their speed really drops. And that's when you, when you benefit from a really good suit, mm-hmm. not in the, not in the beginning, you know, you can, you can stick anybody in a, in a relatively stiff suit and have them swim 500 meters, it won't make a huge difference, but the longer we go, the more important it is to have a good suit. It's
1: mm, interesting.
0: Yeah, that, make, that makes sense, doesn't it? I suppose you can you kind of kind of power your way through the awkwardness to start with, but it gradually erodes your performance as time goes on. Um, that's that's really interesting.
2: And, and so, and how... you see it, you see it to that point, you see it to to that point, and and that's something. Uh, Maybe also noteworthy for the for the listeners. Uh, you know, on the, on the next race that you're watching, whether it's live or yeah, you know, maybe over even on, on a tracker, uh, you you know, watch the watch the top pack of pros or watch how it unfolds, and you'll see that uh on the on the second half of the swim part that's when that's when the distances really uh try, start to expand and that's really when when uh when shift when when it shifts uh, a lot in, um, in in the water and when the proportional better swimmers gain proportionally a lot more time than than on the first half wow, it's nice. very interesting yeah.
0: yeah no that is really interesting um, and so, Sailfish is not a brand that I see about as much in the UK as some of as some of the other brands. Are you? Are you? Um, you know, how would somebody buy one in the UK? And I also, uh, I think you're just starting to break into the US now as well, aren't you? So tell us a bit about how you're looking to expand and, and how people can, can get a hold of them.
2: Yeah. Um, so um, even though I really do like uh, the UK um, as a, as a country. Uh, it is well known that uh, you guys have a few uh, wetsuit brands who uh, live there, kind of, or who, bo- who are born there. And you know, from a business perspective, you 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 pick the battles that uh, that you can win. And um, I think you know, if if we if we would put uh, an extreme amount of effort into the UK market, we could probably end up be playing a significant role there. But um, uh, you know, in in a when you have a small company like mine, uh, you really look for for the opportunities or for the low hanging fruit, and you look at markets where it's probably a little bit easier to break in. Then into the UK market, where you have you have all the competition, four or five brands who are who are um, born there, and. Um, so we um you can uh you can get our products in the uk from our own website selfish.com or i think everybody knows wiggle so um uh wiggle carries our product yeah <laughs> wiggle carries our products as well um and uh in in looking at the at the global market uh the uk is an important market so uh, we're definitely uh servicing it uh, to our best uh, capabilities um, at the same time uh, we have started looking not only looking i am in the us right now at the us market and we're launching here uh it's a 5 year project that uh, we started uh, 2 months ago and um it's been fascinating getting to know the us um from a different perspective this time uh and it'll be our our main focus uh going forward
0: brilliant and and this this road trip that you're doing is quite something isn't it so just Give the listeners a little bit of an idea of what sort of uh, road trip you're 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 taking on.
2: Yeah, so so you know when I when I thought about the uh, the project uh, USA Safeish USA, I um, you know we, when we don't come in with uh, a multi million or hundreds of thousands of marketing budget. So you really want to know uh, or learn as much about the market um, as you possibly can. And um, I have a very good uh, right hand uh, in Germany right now who is running the day-to-day operations, Dennis. So he allows me or basically that allows me to uh, take some time, not off, but take some time over here. And um, I came up with a three-month uh, road trip. We started in uh, in San Francisco. Went all the way down uh, on the California coast to San Diego, obviously a major triathlon hub uh, in uh, not only in the U.S. but also in the world. I would say. Then we went over to uh, to um, Phoenix, to Arizona, up to Las Vegas, uh, spent a week in St. George for the World Championships, and then further up to uh, Salt Lake City and uh, over to then over to Colorado. And uh, at the moment, we're in Boulder and it'll continue uh, by the end of the week with uh, chicago then down to memphis over to nashville louisville kentucky richmond virginia uh, up to washington dc philadelphia new york and uh, ending in boston on 4th of july fun, and that's uh, that's the trip yeah well, so it combines fun. It it yeah. It combines obviously getting to know the country, getting to know the people, getting to know the dynamics of the market. It's a completely different uh, market than uh, than in Europe, and obviously making ties and making connections and uh, starting partnerships um, for next year. So um, yeah, this year it's all about learning and understanding, and next year it'll hopefully be about a bit of selling as well.
0: Brilliant! Wow, fantastic. Um trip that can be put under the banner of business if ever there was an opportunity to merge business with fun that sounds like it <laughs> okay. um so um one of the things you obviously went on you mentioned patrick Lanninger and you went on to, su- to support would you, was it coaching him or i know you were supporting him for a number of years um tell us a little bit about that and with a particular focus on how you helped him improve his swimming
2: well um so so Patrick and I we really go, uh, go back and know each other since uh, probably 2006 or 2007 somewhere around there so it was for a very very long time and then he uh, eventually so I wasn't coaching him so uh, it was Faris Faris Al Zultan, who won uh, who was who was an Ironman Hawaii champion i believe 2005 or 2007 maybe and uh, he coach started coaching him and and his first race uh on the ironman circuit was um Ironman Texas back in 2016 and he won that race uh and ran a 240 marathon so people were like you know wow you know what's uh, this is this is pretty amazing for a first um for a first ironman and let's see what the guy what the kid can do in kona right so that's um what um. He didn't, you know, nobody had any expectations and he was completely under the radar and he started the run in, I believe, 22nd or 23rd place. And he ran all the way up to third place uh, that very first year. Um, uh, Fordino won, Sebastian Kienle took second and Patrick had a penalty on the bike. And if you subtract those four minutes, uh, whatever it was, he actually like mathematically he would have he would have won the race um so there was something in the making and something in the coming and uh yeah day after the race um bob babbitt very famous uh figure in the sports of triathlon uh, he called me and he says do you know anything about this kid patrick and uh, i said <laughs> yeah he's standing right next to me and he said you know why don't you come to breakfast with bob and that's kind of how my my role started um, to become his manager and agent and that's what i did for for five years and uh i think yeah history um uh i don't say history has been made but uh obviously he won hawaii twice 2017 and 2018 Uh, it was fascinating it was uh you know I, I, it was absolutely a great great uh, experience um uh, to see him win those two races uh, which i both uh, raced in as well and um yeah we had uh we had an we had an amazing time um i think he he uh, um he made some good uh, sponsors that he still has today and um yeah it was uh it was a hell of a ride i can say that
0: fantastic and, and i think his swim performance improved over the time working with you um are there any sp- single sort of um concepts that you you remember that have sort of helped him improve his swimming
2: uh yes um and you know and I, I made it very clear from the very beginning uh in the relationship when when faris was the coach uh patrick the athlete and I was the manager so the 3 of us we had a very clear understanding that uh everybody takes care of their role uh, and my role was not coaching but I said look if you need if you want or if you need advice when it comes to the swimming part I'm happy to give it um so eventually uh you know I have a I have a certain approach to let's say the last 6 weeks leading up to a major race let it be Kona or any other race in the season uh, there is, I have some, let's say standardized practices that, that also I did, um, on my, on my way to the swim record. And I just know it works because I've done it, uh, many, many times in my life, back even in the, in the pool, uh, when I, when I swam 1500 free, um, which was used to be my main event. And it's not that different, uh, than a 3.8 K, uh, when it comes to training. So I, 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 you know, I never did any technical um uh, corrections with a stroke uh, because for that you need to be on the pool deck uh, on a uh, on a daily basis but uh those guys in 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 the in the in the elite in the world elite uh, their strokes are usually 98 95 solid so that's not really what they need to work on it's really the swim specific um, endurance or the swim specific power also, especially second half. I spoke about it earlier of the of the swim part. Um, so that's that's uh, a good piece of advice that um, that I gave him and a, like a, like a little bit of a blueprint on on how to do it. And uh, I think it showed up really really nicely in uh, in 2019. Um, unfortunately, he had to drop out uh, soon thereafter. But, uh, I think his swim is, is very solid and has definitely improved over the years. And, uh, he, he, he can most certainly maybe not be at the front of the, of the top pack, but he can always hang in the, in the back of the front pack. And that, that makes it very dangerous for all, everybody else mm-hmm. or later on in the day.
0: And one of the things I, I remember hearing you also helped him with was his approach to the warm up on race day. Um, I think that, I think I'm right in saying that, um, that that really surprised me. How much warming up you did on the morning of race day with with, with a swim. So, tell us a little bit about that. Well,
2: um, maybe the best analogy is uh, is to look at it um, when you look at a diesel engine. You know, a diesel engine takes a long time to warm up, but once it runs, it runs and and a lot of these um ironman athletes or, or long distance athletes uh, they they are diesel engines to to a certain degree i mean you know you've got all the all the kids uh coming in from from the world triathlon circuit from the itu circuit um that have a lot of power and speed in them but at the end of the day, it's a, it's a diesel race. Uh, if you're, if you're out there for eight hours um, or a little bit less. Um, so, and that engine needs to be, needs to be warmed up. And what always struck me, you know, uh, Patrick had a, had a duathlon background and, uh, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't swim the day before the race. He just was just used to it. Right. And, uh, so, I, you know you have race start and uh, and i always say that if everybody was reasonable at, at an at a at a, tri- at a triathlon race everybody would start the swim at their own pace and not any faster but of course the first 50 100 200 400 meters um, the way these races start is it's all about adrenaline and lactate so they get a lot of lactate in and uh, so the one who who can compensate that best is usually really well off later on in the swim uh because because you're just not building up so much uh so much lactate so uh, and in order to not build up so much if you are a good swimmer or and if, or if you're a contender and if for for a top spot in the race you have to warm up, and I and I and I said, Patrick, you know, go in the water the day before the race at the in the evening. Just swim a thousand easy or whatsoever. Uh, maybe a little bit of, uh, of of testing testing the waters and 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 go up with a heart rate. And if possible, in the morning, either you swim, you warm up in the water, or you warm up um, with a, with a cord on um, on land. Uh, so that, you know, you must, you must sweat, you must be, uh, your body must be already full on and then it won't be, you know, it, it'll take a lot of stress out of the start. Um, you know, can I, can I go right away full on from the, from the gun? It's, those are the questions that, that they ask themselves. And if you have already warmed up and you're like, you know, your body is already ready to go, it's a lot easier, uh, to survive those first hundred, 200 meters than if you go if you are uh, if, if it's a cold start. And I think he he took that advice, or he I know he took it, and uh, he's preparing his immediate race preparations differently now than he used to, and it works.
0: Brilliant. Brilliant. That's that's really interesting. It's way more warming up than I would I would ever have considered doing. I think I I, I felt like hearing that I might be exhausted before I even started the race. But um but yeah no that's really interesting. Um, there's there's so much advice out there for people in the triathlon world. One of the questions I like to ask people is, what's the worst advice you hear being given when it comes to swimming, particularly around the triathlon world? Is there any bad advice you hear being thrown around?
2: Well, um, I don't want to single out anyone and I thought about this question beforehand. Uh, but, um, <clears throat> you know, there's... Uh, you need to find a balance, I think, in 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 training. And then, you know, I think when, when when coaches or when athletes, when they think too much about uh, technique or too much about the opposite, just yardage, getting in yardage, um, that's uh, that's usually not uh, a way to succeed in the end. I I do believe in in uh, in consistency. So I think that's the um, that's the most important part when it comes to swim practice and swim training. So, uh, what I don't believe in is, is, uh, let's say in, in, in the winter, people are inclined to swim more, uh, but then they go on a training camp, uh, for two, two weeks training camp in the spring. And suddenly they only swim, uh, they only, they only ride their bikes and run, and then they lose all their swimming because swimming, swimming goes away very, very quickly. So, so what I would say is, you know, what, uh, no matter what, what, what coaches or what, uh. You know what you read, what people say to you. Uh, try to keep uh, try to keep your swimming um, consistent. You know, try to keep uh, try to make it twice a week to the pool. That's usually the minimum, um, and that's that that'll work. Then you can improve your swim. Um, yes, of course, do work on your technique a little bit more in the winter time, and then once it comes to spring and race season, there's not that much time left, and you shouldn't really be working too much on your technique. Uh, and you should really focus on on Getting faster and uh, having more endurance and more power in the pool or, or in open water. Um, and I think the single most determining factor for a good open water swim is swimming in a straight line. So uh, I, I leave that uh, with all its implications uh, out there. But I see so many people who have decent swim times in the pool and then they get into the open water and then suddenly they get passed by people who they would never even look at in the pool. So I think that's a very, very important aspect um, uh, in, in the open water swimming world is to, swim, to try to be able to swim in a straight line. And that takes practice.
0: I was going to say, is there any one piece of advice if somebody was like me meandering all over the place on the swim uh is there any advice that you would give to try and or any sort of um training that you would give them to to try and get their swim straighter
2: that's a difficult one because you can't uh, you can't put out a recipe for for everybody. It's just impossible. Uh, some people don't swim in a straight line because they breathe only to one side and then they swim off to the other. Uh, then if you have a uh, if you have a stroke where you let's say you overreach underwater with one arm to the other side, that also tends to result into not swimming into tr- in a straight line. Then there is the simple fact that uh, in the open water, usually you don't see the ground and there's less points of reference. Sometimes you don't even see the buoy and all that. So my, my single piece of advice would be the more, if you know that you're bad in this, uh, the more you can train in open water and the more you can do these orientation exercises and look at landmarks, look at buoys, uh, see which way you veer off um the more you can train that the better you'll get but it is something that uh, it won't come uh natural it uh i mean you can always stick to the to the feet in front of you but um i've had you know i've had my experiences uh with that and uh and then you end up someplace else so
0: don't ever tr- don't trust the feet in front of you <laughs> exactly you know you don't know whether they're making exactly the same mistakes that you are um, exactly so uh, this has been absolutely brilliant. One question I ask everybody that, that comes on the podcast is, uh, are there any books that you found particularly helpful, particularly inspiring, find yourself recommending to other um, athletes? And that doesn't even have to be in the triathlon world. It could even be a business book and or even something other than a book. But are, are there anything, any books that specifically stand out for you that you find helpful?
2: Yes. Um, so I spoke in the beginning, we spoke a lot about uh, flow and uh, there is a book out there on flow. It's from a Russian author that I, I shouldn't. Uh, Mikhail
0: um, Chechnya or something along those lines, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. So if anybody is
2: interested in that concept, um, uh, he's written, uh, I think it's a, it's a couple of books already uh, on that. So I would uh, I would recommend that. And uh, one of my favorite book in the in the business world is uh, is Shoe Dog by uh, Phil Knight. It's an absolutely uh, great story about the uh, yeah the, the the history of Nike. And uh, when I read it probably for the first uh, 10 years uh, his story is so similar to uh, to to mine and I was like wow so so when are my sales going to explode right <laughs> but uh, I no. guess for that I, I'm not uh, we, we're not in the right market for that uh, yes. uh, but um, really yet exactly maybe maybe this podcast will change the world of open <laughs> water swimming and uh, there's a new global movement into those sports uh, no but it was really really fascinating and uh, how how uh, how he did it and um, the team he assembled around himself and uh, and, and where it all ended up uh, so that was really really a, a cool read very inspiring
0: I agree I think that is a really inspiring read for any anybody that's running their own business or setting up their own business because what I loved about it was he was they were so on the brink of going bust God, I lost count of how many times it was like the next check the net it was like oh, so many times it, it nearly ended and to think that that was nike and to think where they are now is absolutely amazing so um yeah no that's really good yeah. and flow i haven't read it's on my reading list but i um uh, i I've, I've not read it so um that's brilliant um claire have you got any more questions you want to ask yeah.
1: No, I don't think so. Actually, I like I like the idea of reading about flow. Though I think that sounds that sounds super interesting in terms of from you know psychology perspective. I think that sounds fascinating. So I'm definitely going to be diving into one of those books, it which is. I will read.
2: It is <laughs> especially especially in uh, in leading up for Kona, right? So exactly. uh, you know when you're then there on the start line and you can just get into the flow, and then uh, nine hours later you reach the finish line and you don't even know what happened.
1: Now that would be amazing, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Not only to know yeah. our part, but <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it is it is flow is one of those books that gets um referenced in so many other books it's a bit like like thinking fast and slow carol dweck's mindset You know, there's a there's a handful of books that get referenced time and again and flow is is one of them so um i'm sure that's a fantastic recommendation jan it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you yeah. thank you for the advice brilliant story love love the um the the fact that you um have the swim record at kona but also that story around um uh, leading the race uh, I think it's absolutely brilliant and um, yeah, I just want to wish you every success with Sailfish I hope you uh, crack the US market and and we're seeing you on you know Sailfish is on the corner of Oxford Street just across from um, Microsoft and Nike um, in Phil Knight's shoes
2: well we already set, it, set up our warehouse in Beaverton in Oregon uh, next to next to Nike just to, to let them know we're around
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, so- fantastic thanks so much for having me on the show uh, it was really great uh...
0: if you want to find out more about Yan or Sailfish the best place to go to is Sailfish.com on Instagram that's Sailfish underscore triathlon and on they're on Facebook as well again details are in the show notes and on the Sailfish.com website So what did you make of that conversation with Jan?
1: It was awesome. Do you know, like, I actually formed a really good picture of, of this kind of idea of the helicopter coming down in front of him. Oh, me too. Um, cycling. That just must be that feeling, like, you know, for that, even for that amount of time. But that amount of time that he was in front was was still great. Was he like um, 70, he was 70k ahead, wasn't he? Yeah, he was Not
0: yet. 70k in, in the lead cyclist yeah yeah with the helicopter coming down that just yeah. must be so cool yeah
1: yeah um, absolutely i would have thought if that happened to me i would have thought there's some horrendous accident in front of me rather than me being, <laughs> than me being well
0: you know in october it might be happening to you you might get the same experience actually what what as yes, you won't because uh what i did here when i was doing my research on yarn is that they've changed the format i hadn't really picked up on the so so the pros now go off way ahead of the age groupers Mm -hmm. and so actually even if you nail a swim and you're first out the water in your in your swim wave you're not going to get the helicopter I'm afraid
1: no no quite disappointing but
0: (laughs) (laughs) but it does sound it did sound really cool um so what else did you take out uh, away from the the conversation with you
1: I thought that you know some of the advice that he gave around um the you know the tips for swimming and warming up beforehand and you know I think that kind of rings really true with working with athletes is there's so much energy lost with like adrenaline at the start of you know races and actually doing some warm-up I thought actually is a really good way to focus as well so that you can mm. kind of actually kind of harness harness your energy warm up that diesel engine um you know and, and get going. Um, and also also the, the idea of you know um Practicing sighting as well. I, I know he didn't go into too much in depth on that, but I think that's really important. Athletes are often spending so much time in the winter, as he said, in the gym, in the gym, in the, in the pool, um, and then kind of that, you know, that drops off when they come come into race season. Um, I thought that was really, you know, really important, sort of the takeaway, really.
0: Yeah, I thought that was that was really good advice. In that you, I I often think it's it's better to just get my swimming done in the pool. Because there's obviously it's much more controlled environment. It's quicker, you know, it's less inconvenient. Often you for me it is. But but also there's that risk of the more open water swimming you do, the more likely you are to pick up a bug. And and um, but actually that I thought that was, yeah, it was, you know, just practicing more and more to to get that um get your swim line straighter is was good advice.
1: And some really interesting points about the wet I was really interested to speak to him about that as well. Like you know that that idea of actually you know finding a wetsuit that's right for you because I think um and I don't know what you, what your thoughts are on this but I think you know reading kind of some of our magazines that are available in the UK or looking at kind of you know what's the best triathlon wetsuit like I think often as triathletes we we go for like a brand either that one of our um one of the top athletes is wearing or something that's been voted the best and actually it's got to fit you hasn't it at the end of the day otherwise it's not yeah. going to be do anything for you so that came across that was really interesting for him to talk about kind of their line of wetsuits and how they've sort of designed them really
0: yeah and and for me that kind of yeah highlighted the importance of actually just going and trying wetsuits yeah. because I mean particularly in this day and age where we all just want to shop online yeah. um, it's actually I could really see the value in going and tr- finding you know going out your way to try something which I suppose is why he's currently heading across the US he's just giving yeah. The absolutely. right people, the opportunity absolutely. to try a wetsuit that yeah. that may feel a little bit different.
1: Yeah, no, fantastic, and just such like his experiences and where he's come from, and yeah, it was it was it was a really exciting interview. I liked it.
0: So, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, um, brilliant, and, and and those books, I. I I cannot recommend Shoe Dog highly enough for any business owners. I think that that is a, that is a tremendous book. Um, really, really good. And Flow, I'm definitely going to go. Yeah. And, uh, actually, both of, those, both
1: of those books um, just need to, you know, not allow them to stack up in <laughs> my bed. but other than that, no, they, they both sound amazing actually. And I, I didn't know about the Night book, so I'm probably the only person that doesn't, but um, yeah.
0: Well, interestingly, so, I have, I've only just made this link, but when I interviewed Dino from Hoob, he also recommended Shoe Dog as one of his yeah. favourite books. Because I remember talking to him about it, and I think if you're in that sports manufacturing space, um, it is just an amazing story. It really is. So, um, and I suppose you've just got that that even, even greater affiliation. In fact, it made me want to go into running shoes. I have to say, really? kind
1: of like, <laughs> yeah, it really
0: did get me get me excited. But, um, <laughs> Right, fantastic. Well, that's another episode done. Thank you for your help, Claire.
1: Thank you.
0: And, uh, yeah, I hope you feel a bit better soon. And um, for everybody else, keep on training. And remember, this podcast was sponsored by 33Fuel. So rethink your sports nutrition with 33Fuel, award-winning natural sports nutrition for your performance, health, and a fitter future. It's the 33Fuel philosophy. Get yours at 33fuel.com. And if you use the discount code TRIBEATHLON or the link in the show notes, you'll get a discount at the checkout. If you enjoyed this podcast please do review it and share it because it helps other people find what we think is really valuable learning lessons from amazing athletes Um, so please do that Um, you can also find the whole back catalogue at tribeathlon.com and you can also find out about the tribeathlon app which helps people find events find people to train with and enjoy their events through their tribe so check out tribeathlon.com